When I go to an amusement park, I don't like to wait in lines. When I go to an amusement park, I want one of those days that, that looks like everybody else in the world decided to go somewhere else that day. I, I, I want to go on the rides that I want to go on, when I want to go on them, however many times I want to go on them, all day long. I don't want to wait. I don't like waiting. And if I have to wait, I might feel like quitting, like walking out, like not even entering in. Maybe you feel the same way about waiting. Have you ever been to a restaurant on a Friday night? It's really annoying. You get there just a little bit later than you really wanted to get there. And there's a line of people gushing out the door. And they give you a little waiting area. They give you one of those buzzers, first of all. And, and then they, they give you one of these little waiting areas. that There's like 300 people waiting in line. And they give you a waiting area that seats five. And they are all crammed in together, and, and they don't care anything for my sense of personal space. And it makes me just want to walk away, to hand that buzzer back and go away. I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting when I go into the grocery store or the home improvement store or whatever store I happen to be going in. I have two items that I need to get. And guys, you're with me on this, right? Two items that you need. You're going to go in, you're going to get your two items, and you're going to leave. The problem is that when you get out to the checkout line, every line is packed, and you're like, well, I'll find the under five items row. And there is a person. You're so annoyed at this person at this point. They have a cart that's overflowing. And you just want to be very unchristian in that moment. Do you realize that you are in the under five items line? I don't like waiting. Ladies, you're at a big event. There's a pause in the action, and you have to go to the bathroom. And there is a line that goes basically around the stadium, and you find yourself inevitably at the end, don't you? Do you like waiting? If you're anything like me, you, you don't like to wait. And I have to confess to you, I have to admit to you that, that sometimes I do not carry out the, the kind of faithful waiting that will lead to the kind of results that I want. We live in an instant gratification culture. I mean, if it's, like, if, it's, if it's not like one gig a second, we're upset. 
Right, Josh? I mean, if, if we have to buffer on our phones, we're mad. We're not great at waiting. But what if I told you this morning that waiting, that waiting and how you wait could prove to be a powerful tool to sharpen and direct your life? What if I went one step further and said that how you wait could change your eternity? Think about it like this. There's a student. And the ACT test is weeks away. And yet they decide in the moment they're going to get real serious about this test. And they're going to start doing what, what they know they should do. So they begin going to their teachers and they begin asking questions and they begin taking these pre-ACT tests. Everything, they are going to nail this test. They're going to own it. There's this family. Uh, let's say they're going to go on vacation. And this is not just going to be any vacation. This is going to be like the vacation of all vacations, right? National Lampoons has nothing on this family. And they are going to get on Google Maps every night. And they are going to look. And they are going to plan. And every good thing along the route, they are going to hit it. And this is going to be the start of something really incredible. There's this husband and there's this wife. And they're about to have their first child. And what do they do? They find out what the baby's is. I mean, is it a he or a she? And, and then they, appropriate, you know, they give all the appropriate colors to the appropriate room, right? I mean, if they don't have the appropriate room, they probably go and buy a house so that they can have the appropriate room. And then they, they, they decorate it, right? They make sure they have the dresser and the crib and everything is just so. And then they fill that, fill that dresser full of all the clothes that, could, that this kid could possibly wear in a couple of months before they all grow out of them. They buy up a year's worth of diapers. This kid isn't going to know what hit him. Then there's the bride and the groom waiting for their wedding day. It's months away. It's just a glimmer out there. And yet they've picked all of the colors They've gotten the theme. They've got all the decorations all lined out. They've got the DJ and the dance floor. Everything is ready. And it is going to be a great day. Right, Corinne? Ryan. It's going to be a great day. You may be thinking that no one likes to wait. But I'm going to suggest to you this morning that waiting and how we wait 
like the student and the family and the bride and the groom and those who are expecting that when we wait like that, it might just change our life, that our life will never quite be the same. It might even change our eternity. Waiting, this idea of waiting, it crystallizes for us who are followers of Jesus. It crystallizes for us the, the kind of characterization that, that waiting ought to have for us, that, that waiting is to be done with eager anticipation and expectation. In the text that we're going to get into this morning, three times, uh, the author confronts us with this idea of, of waiting, waiting with eager anticipation. And the question, the question uh, seems to be, how is it that this waiting, that this eager anticipation, how does this waiting affect our lives today and tomorrow? Now, when our lives are characterized by eager anticipation, what are the effects on our life now and our life later? Now, you're probably sitting there saying, well, Mike, you've not told us exactly what it is that we're waiting for. But Peter does tell us what we're waiting for. When Peter writes a letter to the early church, in the early years of the church, when he writes this letter, he writes to followers of Jesus uh, who are eager for, for the final coming of Christ. He writes to, to those who, who want to feel, who want to experience, who want to see the celebration day uh, when Jesus comes a final time. That's what they're waiting for. And Peter, Peter in the midst of that, tells them how they should wait, that they should wait with this eager anticipation. And he does this crazy thing. He links their faith, he links our faith, with our ability to wait with anticipation. He says your faith is going to be linked with your ability to wait. What I want us to see in this text, what I want us to, to pick up in this text, is that when we wait with anticipation, it's going to show up in our lives now. And it's going to guarantee our life later. What I want us to see in this text is that when we wait with this kind of anticipation, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change our life in the present, it's, and it's going to solidify our lives in the future. Peter, in this text, gives three key imperatives, three important commands, three significant directives we're going to see from Peter. And in these, he's going to tell us 
the effects that waiting in anticipation has on our life today and the outcome it has on our life tomorrow. Join me in 2 Peter chapter 3. If you're using a pew Bible in front of you, it's going to be on page 854. Join me in 2 Peter chapter 3. I'll give you plenty of time to turn there. 2 Peter chapter 3, page 854. What we recognize right away. What we recognize right away in, the, in this text is that there's this overarching command that, that Peter gives that, that we are to have this extraordinary diligence. That what we're supposed to be is people who, waiting in, in anticipation for Jesus' final coming, that we will put one step in front of the other consistently day after day and it will be good. Uh, look with me. Look with me. Join me. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. He writes, Dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, this day, this final day of Jesus' coming, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Make, make every effort. Waiting in anticipation for Jesus' final coming ought to show up in our effort. It ought to show up in our, our willingness, our diligence. Strenuous diligence ought to be the outcome of lives that are, are, are waiting in anticipation for Jesus' final coming. It ought to show up in, in consistency. This diligence, this effort, this, this consistency that he's talking about when he says, make every effort, it's, it's a middle school girl who is in pursuit of an iPhone. Think about it for a minute. Have you ever known a middle school girl that is in pursuit of an iPhone? When a middle school girl is in pursuit of an iPhone, everything else goes out the window. I mean, uh, she wants an iPhone, right? Uh, she has what is uh, an old flip phone that her dad gave her that has a cracked screen that she is not even, uh, she is embarrassed to take out of her backpack, Right? I mean, she is never going to be found in public with this thing. And all of her friends, all of her friends, get me now, all of them, all of them, mom and dad, have iPhones. And they all have all the apps and all the systems and all the updates. I mean, like, they have 16 gigs of whatever it is. And she does not. What Paul excuse me, what Peter is saying when he says, make every effort, is there is a middle school girl in pursuit of an iPhone. 
that this characterizes how we are to approach our faith. Think about this middle school girl for a minute. She knows what it is that she wants. She has her eye on the prize. It is an iPhone, whatever the newest, latest iPhone 75, whatever it is. She wants it. And nothing is going to detract her from it. Nothing. Right? Nothing's going to deter her. Nothing's going to get in her way from getting what she wants. I mean, think about the things that are not going to get in the way for a minute. Homework is not going to get in the way. Chores are not going to get in the way. Social media, not going to get in the way. Boys, not even boys, are going to get in the way of her pursuit of the newest iPhone, at least until after she gets the iPhone, and she knows how to get it. She's going to go to Grandpa, and she's going to go to Grandma, and if that doesn't work, she, she's going to go to that really friendly lady next door, and if that doesn't work, she's going to go to the internet, and she's going to go fund me now, and she's going to let the, she's going to let the entire world fund her iPhone. She is going to be completely undeterred. Now, no, hear, hear me. What Peter is saying, what Peter is saying so clearly is that waiting in anticipation for Jesus' final coming ought to look like a middle school girl in pursuit of an iPhone. That waiting in anticipation would produce in us Something so clear right now that it drives our faith and we are so focused that nothing could possibly deter us from the goal. Peter is stressing here this overarching principle, this overarching command that when we wait in anticipation for Jesus' final coming, we will give every possible effort, and it will show up right now. It will show up today. It will be recognizable. There will be real outcomes. But where is this effort supposed to be directed? What is this effort supposed to look like? Underneath of this overarching command to, to give every effort to live out this lifestyle of faith, uh, Peter puts these two tandem commands. He puts these dual guidelines, these dual directives, if you will. Under all of this, under this idea that, that, that waiting with anticipation ought to lead our lives to give every effort, he, he, he says two things. Now, the first is that we are to be guarded. The second is that we are to grow. The first guideline is, is that, that this effort is supposed to look like, like we're guarding something. That we're guarding our faith. Go ahead and look at verse 17. He says, Dear friends, uh, since you already know this, 
Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the air of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Guard so that you may not be carried away. Now, I, I, it seems to me like parents understand this terminology of guarding. Uh, some of you are parents, and if you're not, let me explain how it works. When you have small children, you might take them on a warm day in the spring, let's say in the Midwest, and what you're going to find is that there's 8,000 other people that decided that it was a warm day, and they finally get to get out of the house and they go to the park. And there you are with 8,000 other people, and they are, there's a million little kids. It's just growing, isn't it? There's a million little kids running around all over the place. Now, now parents understand guarding. Because there might be hundreds of other kids running around, and they have this little antenna, this, this like predator antenna, right? I mean, their kids are out there somewhere, and if you talk to moms, you'll say, well, where is your kid? Oh, I got one over there, and one over there, and one over there. They got this little like inbuilt predator antenna, right? That says, I know where my kids are, and I am going to protect them. I'm going to guard them. I'm going to make sure they're safe. And if anyone were to come in uh, and try and take them, they're going to have to go through me first, right? I mean, parents get this kind of guarding. And it's the same for those who are followers of Jesus. It's the same for those who, who follow Jesus. And they look at their faith with the kind of value that a mother and a father look at their children with. And they are guarding it. Now, I was wrestling this week. How is it that we're supposed to guard? How is it that we're supposed to be guarding our faith? Uh, what does that look like? Uh, spell that out for me, Mike. And it, and it, and it hit me. And it hit me that, that these two commands that... that that Peter gives under the overarching command of effort, that, that gives life to the effort that we're supposed to demonstrate in our faith, that guarding and growing go together. That in fact, I guard by growing. That I am most able to guard my faith when I care enough to diligently grow it. Recognize what the text says. It comes right after he's already talked about this idea of guarding. And in verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow. Grow. I know what growing looks like in a relationship. I've been married to my lovely wife, JoLynn, for over 17 years, and, and here's what I know about guarding and growing, that when I am growing, I am guarding my relationship. That when I am recognizing and I am listening to JoLynn, and, and I am I'm keyed in on what she is saying to me, and, and I am allowing her to speak deeply into my life, to show me the blind spots that I have, uh, what I recognize in that is that I am growing in the relationship, and when I'm growing, I'm guarding, because I am fully committed to that relationship. And temptation begins to flee away because what I am concentrated on is growing in our relationship, growing 
growing leads to guarding. And when I'm guarding, I'm growing. You see, even as a leader of a church, uh, even in my leadership strategies and in other relationships in my life, if I'm asking key questions, if I'm committed to the relationship, if I'm reading new books and I'm learning new things, uh, what, I'm, what I'm generating is growth. And people, when you are growing, when you are growing, you are guarding. Guarding comes by growing. So here's the question. Are you growing? Are you, are you growing? Are you living with the kind of intentional determination that says, I am going to grow my faith because you recognize today at least that guarding comes by growing. And if you're not growing, then you're susceptible. So are you growing? And maybe you're sitting there going, oh, well, gee, I don't know, preacher. I, I, I don't know if I'm growing or not. Here's, here's my advice. Find a friend who will give you the honest-to-goodness truth about your life. That will you, you will give the permission to point out your blind spots. Maybe, maybe it's a Sunday school teacher, or maybe it's a, another follower of Jesus outside of this room. Uh, maybe it's uh, one of the pastors here, but, but you may need to find someone that says, you know what, you need to grow in this way. Are you growing? Now here's the great thing, growing doesn't all look the same. As Josh has pointed out this morning already, we all need to take next steps, don't we? We all need to be growing in something. The question is, what is it that you need to take a next step into? What is it that you need to grow into? Maybe for you, uh, uh, the growth step is just simply showing up to church on a regular basis. Uh, maybe you're, you need to say, you know what? Uh, three out of four Sundays, I'm going to be in church. And that's going to be a huge growth step for you. Uh, you're going to have to take time on a Sunday morning to show up uh, and gather with other Christians. Maybe that's a, a growth step that you need to take. And in growing your garden, maybe for you it is, it is that step of baptism and you say, you know what, I, I need to do this right now. I need to step into that baptistry and I, I need to, to, to know what, what that is. I, I need, to, I need to, to recognize this submission that, that comes with, with being baptized. Maybe for you, it's, uh, it's saying, you know what? I, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've sat in these pews for many years, but, but I don't know the Bible as well as I do. Maybe for you, it's, it's memorizing an entire book of the Bible. What is it that you need to grow in? We all have next steps. Peter's saying, there's this overarching command that we have to give every effort possible. And that's going to be highlighted in guarding by growing. So how are you growing? Waiting. Waiting in anticipation. 
Waiting with expectation. Peter says it's going to show up in our life. It's going to show up right now. It's going to show up today. It's going to show up in our effort. And that effort is going to look like guarding by growing. So where are you? Where are you in this effort? Where are you in these commands that he's given? But maybe you're sitting there going, well, why does it even matter? Why does this waiting and anticipation, why does this eager expectation for Jesus' final coming even matter to my life? Peter answers in two verses. He answers in two verses that really lead us to the very edge of eternity, and he casts a vision for what that looks like. And what we find is that anticipation solidifies assurance. Anticipation solidifies assurance. I'm going to look in two verses, verse 14 at the very end and verse 17 also at the very end. Notice what he says at the very end of verse 14. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless. And then he says, at peace with him. Look down in verse 17 for a moment, the very end. He says, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. What is Peter saying? Well, let me say what he's not saying first. Peter is not somehow saying that somehow we are responsible to save ourselves. That's not what he's saying. Uh, he's not saying that somehow uh, Jesus came to save us, but that once we're saved, we have to maintain our own salvation uh, from there on. That's not what he's saying either. But what he is saying is that we work with such diligence, with such intentionality, at being committed to this relationship, this special, beautiful relationship that we have with Christ, that when it comes time for heaven, my spot next to Jesus is secure. That my assurance, that my assurance at heaven's door that it's going to be propped open for me is absolute. Anticipation solidifies assurance. Think about those characters that I started off with. Think about that student, right? They walk into the ACT test ready. They're going to own this test. No, no questions asked. Why? Do they have that kind of assurance? They have that kind of assurance because today, today they worked hard. They gave effort. Anticipation solidifies assurance. You remember that family that's going on a trip and they're, they're looking at all of the things that they could possibly do? Why is this going to be a great experience no matter what happens on this trip? 
they have the assurance that this is going to be the best possible trip because they worked hard right now to make it happen. No matter what happens with this family and this young babe that's about to be born into the world, those young parents, they are going to experience parenthood. But it's going to start off well. They're assured that it's going to start off well because they've worked hard to make sure that it does. That bride and groom, all the work they put into the wedding, their marriage is going to start off well. They assure themselves of this. Waiting in anticipation. Waiting in anticipation ought to change every single day of your life. And when it does, when it does, it will assure every single day in your eternity. Anticipation solidifies assurance. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you're good to us. I thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that... um, that we are open to receiving your word. And I pray that I will live in anticipation of what it means to have you come again. And I pray, Father, that I will guard this faith and I will grow it. And I will know that nothing will possibly take heaven away from me when that day comes. We love you. All this we pray in Jesus' name.